0: This is episode one of the Tim Ferriss podcast. My name is Tim Ferriss. For those of you who don't have any context on me, I'm the author of The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, and The 4-Hour Chef, which have been translated into more than 35 languages. And all three books are comprised of self-experiments. I travel the world I find people who are world-class in different skills, and then I try to dissect that skill and test it all myself. And that can range from performance-enhancing drugs to hacking the NFL combine to outsourcing my life to India to cramming two years of culinary school into 48 hours or trying to learn a foreign language in a few days well enough to go on live television and be interviewed. And it's in search of a toolkit. You do not have to be superhuman to get superhuman results. And to that end, this podcast is going to be a lot like Inside the Actors Studio, but not limited to actors. We will have in-depth, conversational interviews with actors, investors, hackers, professional athletes, black market chemists, and everybody in between. It'll be very wide-ranging. But covering it all is really the 80-20 analysis. And in the process of speaking with these people will try to suss out what are the critical few things versus the trivial many. What are the 20% of tactics, philosophies, principles that they use to get 80% of the results they've had? And there should be a lot of actionable bits hidden in there or not so hidden in there for you to use in your life or at least to inspire you. So it'll range from tactics to strategies to philosophies to motivations that they use to become the best in the world. Without further ado, I would like to introduce you through the interview to our first guest, who is Kevin Rose, a very good friend of mine, a world-class investor and entrepreneur in his own right. And his thoughts on investing translate to many different areas in life. So I hope you enjoy it. And thank you for listening. Optimal, minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now, would it a perfect
1: time. What if I get the eye? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over metal
0: endoskeleton. All right, so, oh, oh, yeah, all right, let's start over. This is experimental, We're figuring it out.
1: So, Kevin, would you mind doing the honors? I'll do the intro as long as you promise I don't have to do this every single time. You do not. Okay, thank you. Once it's recorded, uh-huh. I can just use it repeatedly. Tim, Tim, talk, talk. Episode One.
0: Welcome, everybody. Sexy and smart, ladies and gentlemen. This is not Tim Tim Talk Talk. We have to think up a better name. I know for that the podcast. was the original.
1: Although I joke did, name, I do like
0: the idea of calling it T Four. T Four, which stands for Tim Tim Talk Talk, but it cannot be.
1: It, well, it also sounds like a Terminator. It sounds like you're like hardcore like that. T Four
0: or Thyroid Hormone. The less active form, <laughs> but that's too boring. Nobody knows that. So. Everybody out there, uh, this is Tim Ferriss, author of a few books that all sound like infomercial products. You'll see uh, after the rotisserie chicken at 3 in the morning. Uh, This is an experimental podcast. I have my good friend Kevin Rose with me to make it a low-stress, no-stakes experiment for my episode one. Thank you, Kevin.
1: Uh, No problem. You know, it's funny. You you said that we should do this, and I said, why do you want me as your first guest? Because we do the random show together, which appears on your blog from time to time. That's right. And it's like, I think your audience would be like, oh, this is just the random show (laughs) on audio. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be so much better. Number one, because the
0: audio is going to be incredibly impressive high bit rate high bit rate mm, love assuming that. i don't mouth the mic and screw it up with my spittle and uh i'm gonna ask you questions that i normally wouldn't ask you on the on the random show yeah so as well.
1: l- 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 one thing i want to ask you is like why did you want to do this what what's the inspiration behind this <laughs> so
0: the the inspiration behind doing this uh, is multifold number one i over the last year, I've had a chance to be on a couple of podcasts that I really enjoyed, like the Joe Rogan Experience, Mark Maron, WTF Podcast, uh, Brian Callen, Adam Carolla. And I really enjoy the longer format, having the time to deep dive and also be really informal. I assumed it had to be very produced and edited and involved a lot of labor after the fact. and with, for instance, the Joe Experience, is able to see that it can be done really easy, casually, and still be fun for everyone involved. Yeah. I, have a, I have a great time as a participant, and also, uh, seemed like over the next few months, I'll be doing a lot of travel, uh, I can't say all too much, but doing a primetime TV show on maximizing human performance, using myself as the guinea pig, uh, which starts filming very, very soon, and I'll be on the road a lot. So I figured this would be a fun way for me to get to know people, I want to get to know Yeah, just spend two hours drinking wine and digging in. And I think the the, the other purpose of the podcast, and this might evolve over time, but is to very similar to, to all three books, kind of deep dive with people and try to extract small actionable bits that people can use.
1: Yeah. It seemed to me like you're on the road so much and you're constantly bumping into obviously really interesting folks it's just a shame that you're not capturing those conversations that you're having anyway yeah and just put it out there for people to consume
0: right because i I, i'll go to these dinners or have wine and we'll get to that in a second and learn so much and i'm like god you know it's a shame there are only two people here three people here four people here Nothing super confidential was said. I mean, it would be amazing to just offer yeah. people the opportunity to be a fly in the wall listening to some of the people I bumped into who are far smarter than I am. Uh, so, what are we drinking, Kevin? So, uh,
1: we are having a glass of, or a bottle of wine um, from a friend of mine, um, Chris, who uh, owns a little tiny, 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 tiny wine bar in San Francisco. And when I mean tiny, I mean you can probably fit like 35 people in the entire place. Um it's a little hole in the wall down an alleyway. It's actually where I met my wife for our first date. I didn't know that. Yeah. It uh it's called Hotel Biron, B I R O N. And if you're ever in San Francisco, go there, say hi to the owner. His name is Chris if he's there and uh, tell him that you heard this on Tim Tim Talk Talk and you will get a discount. No, I'm just kidding. But you probably could say that he probably would give you a discount because he's a cool guy like that. Uh, but yeah, he decided, I was just there actually meeting another uh, friend hanging out and um, he gave me, he's like, do you want a bottle to go? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do Tim Tim Talk Talk. I need a bottle of wine. So uh, God, I'm, I, the reason I'm saying the name over and over is I want it to stick. I know you're incepting people. You're I a fucker. Know. I, know, I, know, I, know, I know. I know how you operate. I know. So um, anyway, the name of the bottle of wine is uh, Gambling and Mc- Duck. As in Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge McDuck. The thing is, um, what you'll find there is that he is a really – he's a fanatical, like, kind of crazy wine connoisseur that likes really rare, obscure – Wines and great stories. So every wine that he'll pour you, he's like, "Oh, I got this crazy story. I met this winemaker. Blah blah blah. They live in this little region, and I like it because it's it's really obscure, hard to find grape, and it's, so it's it's not really expensive wine. Like yeah. you'll go in there and like that. I think I mean they don't have like multi hundred dollar bottles of wine. It's like yeah. standard, you know, just good prices and heavy pours." Anyway, he's a good, he's a good dude. He's a good that dude. That should be his tagline.
0: <laughs> prices, food prices, heavy pours. Pours. <laughs> And also for people who are, say, visiting San Francisco, it is right around the corner from a restaurant called Zuni Cafe. Awesome Which place. is very, very well known. Judy Rogers, originally, I believe, out of Chez Panisse. Uh, they do incredible things with their food. Um, and uh, you could, you could look into something called dry brining, which they do with their roast chicken, which is amazing. Uh, so Kevin, for those people who are listening and do not know who you are, Let's start at the beginning. Ah, at the beginning. You know that phrase, because yeah, you use my, it. I've been my, doing my little <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but why don't you tell people a little bit about your background, where you grew up, etc.?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I I grew up kind of a, a boring life in Las Vegas, um, of all places, which uh, I don't like to admit to many people, because it, it's a fun place to visit, but it's not really a place I consider home anymore. Uh, I do like going and hanging out with friends. Obviously, the occasional bender out in Vegas is always fun, but um, so, you know, I moved out to the the bay area in 2000 and uh started working at um you know dot com's at the tail end of that in the tech space um ended up working at tech tv and starting there in 2002 late 2002 um, kind of behind the scenes. Eventually, ended up doing segments on a show called The Screensaver. So I was actually on air talent. And where was this? Uh, this is in San Francisco. Got it. And how did you end up in SF? Um, I just moved out here working with. Uh, I was actually doing some marketing. Uh, I was doing ad buys and helping them track the conversions on Tech TV. Uh, no, for uh, a little startup, a CMGI uh, funded startup. It was an online furniture store. We thought we were going to make billions, <laughs> um, but it turns out people don't like to. To pay the shipping for really heavy furniture on the internet. So <laughs> kind of like kettlebells. Yeah, it, it, it didn't work out. Yeah, it was it was very heavy stuff. So um, anyway, uh, ended up hosting a television show um, on the screensavers. Uh, the name of the show was called The Screensavers on Tech TV, and then started um, my own first startup, uh, which was called Dig, which is a social news site, um, and that grew that to a pretty decent size. Um, Started a couple other companies, uh, ended up angel investing, sold a few companies, got acquired by Google. Long story short, had a big long, uh, seven, eight, nine, 10 year run in the tech space. And then eventually ended up as a venture capitalist at Google Ventures. So I'm a VC there that is, um, funding companies and helping find the next big thing. That was very efficient. Self-introduction.
0: Thank you for that. No problem.
1: Uh, Couple of
0: questions. Well, actually, I should give some, some background, I suppose, uh, or just my personal views on things since that's, I guess, part of the podcast. I think you're one of the best product guys in Silicon Valley, meaning your ability to not only conceptualize and come up with product ideas, which you do all the time and then you just give them away or drop them or whatever. Uh, but you come up with like a different, a different company idea that could work ostensibly, I think, every week, just about. Uh, and you're also extremely good at betting on the right horses and of course no investor is a hundred percent i mean they can't bat a thousand but what what do you think makes you good at that i mean i because I, I i think many people would share that same opinion you're you're good at guessing what's coming next or predicting what will pop or what will not pop is that just genetic ability i mean you're like uh it's uh. A, you know, LeBron James of <laughs> angel, angel investing, angel. uh, or is there are there characteristics that you see in yourself or in other people who are also good at it, uh, that, that you can explain
1: It's, that's a great question. I, I think that, um, for me, you know, I, I can remember, uh, analyzing people and trends all the way back in high school. The first time I remember it, um, I remember there was, there was this one kid in my class that, um, he wore a fluorescent orange jumpsuit to school. It was like a garbage man, like what yeah, the yeah. garbage man would wear, you know? Or, and, a, or an inmate. Yeah, or an inmate. Exactly. <laughs> and so he, he was wearing that. And I remember everyone thought that was the coolest thing. Yeah. And everyone's like, Oh, he's got that jumpsuit on and blah, blah, blah. And like kids started going out and like literally buying these. You could buy them. Um, uh, they weren't made by Dickies, but a very similar brand. Yeah. And they sold them. Actually, I think that maybe they were made by Dickies, but they sold them at Kmart. And so kids started buying them wearing in the high school and i remember at that point i realized that there are certain very early adopters like taste makers i was mm. like if you could only like this person can spread a trend and at mm. the time i was thinking about fashion right cuz like this kid was like considered by by many other classmates to be like the cool kid right, right. and so once he did something he would influence all these other people and so I started thinking about like it just made me think like what could I make that he would think was cool and then it would spread throughout the class that was like <laughs> what I got excited about yeah. and then I just realized that I just like I kept coming up with all these ideas and I've always been the kind of person that that just like starts to think about and my I I think it's it was honestly it was just something that actually hurt me in school because I was always daydreaming about different things. And I actually got really crappy grades and just like, you know, didn't do well in school because I, my mind was always someplace else. Yeah. And I think that it was always um, once I got connected up with computers um, and I got really into computers, uh, it was always about what I could build with software. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I built a couple of little things that I launched a shareware and had on shareware blogs and stuff like that and made some money. And then it kind of kind of clicked that, you know, you write the software once you charge for it and you don't have to keep paying to have it made. You can just make more and more copies money while you sleep. And it was, it was insane, you know? And so like that, that clicked. And then I, I started thinking about like, what are the things that that I would like as a consumer and that, that I feel could spread and like really take off. And then, you know, uh, it was kind of like analyzing these companies and looking at these different things and seeing them and, and being that early adopter where you want to play with everything. I think you yeah. have to have like you a natural. With,
0: yeah. The number of apps you have on your phone isn't, incredible to me
1: you have to have like a natural curiosity you have to like say okay i want to like i get excited i get a hit of like freaking dopamine and like my like flutters in the stomach when i see something that is new and original and has never been done before yeah and so like I, i feel that what would be a few examples of that?
0: Well, I think that, you what, know. What are a few companies you've invested in or missed for that matter where you got the flutters in your stomach?
1: Well, I mean, so Twitter, for example, um, you know, it was very early days when I invested in Twitter and, um, and, and you were shortly thereafter. We were both investors early like two on. Two
0: weeks later, I, I managed to come in after. Around of finance and close, <laughs> you, you got screwed. Well, <laughs> uh, the the person selling it to me was very smart, <laughs> very shrewd.
1: They helped. We, we got two very different valuations. <laughs> I got really lucky on that one, and Tim Tim kind of gonna get screwed. But the thing is, like you know, when you were looking at Twitter, one there was two things that really caught my attention. One was that um, Jack Dorsey, the guy that created it, had created a model that was not about mutual friendship. So up until this point, it was about you know. Facebook and MySpace and others, you had to send a friend request and someone had to accept your friend request. And that's the way that a social relationship happened on the internet. Jack was smart enough to think like, Hey, well, maybe it doesn't have to be like that. Maybe you can tail and, and like kind of like, like follow someone that you don't actually know. Mm-hmm. And so when he created that, I remember thinking like, wow, this is crazy. Like there was a bunch of like influential people that started to sign up, you know, and I was like, I can kind of, like peek over their shoulder and kind of be with them on this journey that they're going on and like watch what they're up to without actually knowing them. And I was like, wow, okay, what if celebrities actually figure out how to use this thing? And it's really easy. Cause all you have to do to tweet is send a text message. And then, you know, you saw a celebrity or two sign up and I'm like, okay, this is going to be pretty huge because if, if this keeps happening and more and more celebrities sign up, it's going to be their platform because yeah. they don't, know how to blog they don't have it's low it's low it's, labor. it's low labor low like the barrier to entry is extremely low you can misspell everything and it can be two sentences and, and it's still like content right and so seeing that and then also figuring out that a follower count wasn't portable so if you think about like you have an email newsletter, you can move that from email provider to email right, provider, AWeber to MailChimp, like, to whatever. You can't move your followers to Facebook. You can't move your followers. So that it was very defensible in that way. And seeing those couple things and thinking like, okay, well this could be something. And again, I didn't know. It was just like yeah. it was a gamble. And, and and a lot of angel investing is is for me is going on your gut. And so I placed a bet and just happened to to win there. But like I think that for me it's like hopefully finding an insight like that. And then also finding something that you yourself like plays to like me as a consumer. Like I, I think I'm kind of an every every man, like every woman. Every I don't know, I'm a woman, but I mean like I didn't mean that. But you like, are like, everyone, I am Kevin. like every woman, like every woman. But no, seriously though, I I think that like I I kind of feel like if if it's something that will appeal to me and I can see myself using it on a daily basis, yeah. like I'm going to open my phone to do this two to three times per day. Right. It could be a, a big deal, and I think that like. You know, that's what I look for. That's when I'm, I'm trying to, you know, find the next Instagram or whatever it may be. It's like, I'm looking for something I'm going to use on a daily basis. Something that's going to sit in my you know, there's like 20 spaces on your iPhone in the default screen. Like what are one of those icons going to be? Is there going to be something that's that, that prominent that, that, that is that important that it will take up some of that real estate, some of the default real estate on my home screen?
0: What, what are some examples of, uh, and we'll talk about a lot more than investing, but I think it's a good way to look into how you think about people and companies and just creation in general. What are examples of companies you've invested in that other people did not invest in where you were uh, not necessarily investing alone, but going against maybe uh, the consensus and why did, and why did you, what were the factors that led you to decide to go in, in investments that worked out? (laughs) We'll also talk about ones that didn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that um, it's, there's always investors that say no, including myself, and a lot of things that actually end up being really successful. So you can't really blame somebody. It's like, I feel like, and I'm, and I'm sure you, there's this case for you. It's like, you look at, uh, you know, 20, 30, 50, and now as a professional venture capitalist, like hundreds of deals per year. Right. And you're going to say no to a lot of winners out there. So, um, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's like, I don't feel as though, I've gone into something all in into something that like totally has um, everyone was against because there's always somebody willing to invest in that startup. Sure, I guess a startup where it wasn't the like hottest girl at the
0: dance of the moment because you you know exactly what I mean by that. There are some deals where it's like everybody wants in, everybody thinks it's thinks it's amazing. Not one of those deals. A deal that was uh, had less hoopla surrounding it
1: yeah i mean i think that there's there's been a, a few of those not not too like within the last even year and a half or so i i've, I've gone into a handful of deals that are, are now starting to, to work out like Nextdoor, i think is a great example yeah of yeah, one yeah. that i invested in maybe a year and, that and a we, half ago that we both invested in yeah so it was like it's a neighborhood social network and mm-hmm. i think that uh there was a lot of people that were like oh, i just you know i don't know what that's all about or what it means and and for me um you know, it's funny. It's like I don't want to come off on this podcast sounding like I'm like I'm a know-it-all because like I've been wrong on a lot of deals. Yeah. But like every once in a while, you 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 kind of like see a market before it's about to happen, and then sometimes you just miss it all together. Like Pinterest, I, I had an opportunity to invest very early on, saw it, liked it, ended up passing, and I'm kicking myself every single day. Right. But um, you know, next door was one where I saw it. And I was like, okay. Well, this is connecting neighbors on a very social level, which I like because it's something where in San Francisco and big cities, we don't know our neighbors. It's yeah. not like you can walk across the street and be like, Oh, hey, Jim, how's it going? You know, like you might know one house in any direction, but not two or three houses. You don't know who those yeah. people are. So the yeah. idea of like creating that social fabric so that you can have like, ad hoc things come together like social, like uh neighborhood watch programs, like, and, and eventually like commerce on top of a a neighborhood graph, which I think is really interesting. Like types of commerce, like, like goods, goods being sold. Like I see couches for sale Mm -hmm. on next door, which were for sale on Craigslist, you know, six months ago. So, um, Things like that, like that trusted neighborhood network, are starting to create really unique opportunities for people to exchange goods and and services. Uh, you know, there's like a plumber that was on there last week, being like, "Hey, I'm a plumber. I live in the neighborhood. If anybody ever needs me, you know, it's like it's like yeah. it's just a different platform that, that was created um, out of out of neighborhoods, out of like people getting to know each other in their local neighborhood. That thought was interesting, um, and and I think that you know a uh, year and a half ago that nobody was really talking about it. Nobody just really thought it was that was that exciting. What are your, what are
0: your investment mistakes have in common? If anything, if you were to, if you were to say like, you know what, I should have known better because X, I did X, I didn't do X, such and such happened. I shouldn't have done it. But well, I, did. I
1: think there's, um, there's, there's. For, for me, it's, it's, it's the mistakes that, that have occurred, I think are one in, in passing on deals. Mm. Like, I, I think that when you're using your own money, especially when you're an angel investor, um, you are very, extremely picky, almost too much so, in that, you know, on a one to ten, meaning ten is like, you're just over the, over the moon excited about doing this deal. When you're an angel and you have limited capital, you're thinking like, okay, well, I have to be a nine or higher to make this happen to yeah. actually want to, to put money into this company. Um, and I think that there was a lot of great eights in there that I just passed on. Yeah. And that you know, had I had more cash at the time, I probably would have done those deals. And some of those. Well, have turned that's out also to because
0: be, I mean, as an angel, you have very significant downside, meaning you can lose all of your own capital, right. uh, And then you have the potential upside. Of a relatively, say, small investment because it's your own cash. Whereas if you're working at a fund like Google Ventures, you have hundreds of millions of dollars to deploy. Sure, uh, and so you can place cutting a,
1: little hundred yeah, k bets all day long, right? And, then and you just have zero ride personal winners. downside yeah. and ride the winners, right? Um, so I think a lot of a lot of mistakes have been there. A lot of mistakes have been. You know, the, I, there's always the the deals that you fund because you're you're really friendly with with you know as an angel you're friendly with some some people and it's not necessarily and you're backing them as an entrepreneur because you you really like the person and there's nothing yeah. wrong with that you just you yeah. you you you're betting on a person you don't might not necessarily like the the general space that they're in but you're betting that they can kind of figure it out yeah and sometimes you lose uh, on those and, and that's fine I mean you just kind of well
0: that's I mean that's true also even with the example you gave which is Twitter I mean if if we're looking at Odeo. Yeah. And I mean it's uh or
1: For people that don't I, know, Audio was the startup that that became Twitter. That right. And I mean Twitter.
0: Ev has had a lot of businesses as as you've mentioned in interviews before, or he's mentioned in interviews before. I mean VHS tapes to teach people how to use the internet, right? right.
1: <laughs> what was your first business? Uh my first business was um a piece of software. Um well, I mean it goes way back before that, when I was like 12, I had a little software company called foliage software. Um, and it wasn't actually a software company, but I had business cards made, so it it felt like a software company, but I, I basically, uh, how old are you? Uh, I'm maybe 12, something like that. And I, and I, and I basically wrote little programs, uh, in basic. And then I would actually, I found this program that would, that would compile actually it wasn't basic. I wrote, I wrote some, like tricky little utilities, uh, actually using batch, like in batch files. And then I wrote, some, I got some software that compiled them to EXEs and then tried to sell them to shareware. But anyway, it was, uh, that was super geeky. But, uh, I've always been tinkering for a long time. What if you were not in tech?
0: Actually, no, that's fine. If, let me dial back. Actually, it's probably not 12 years old. So maybe he was later. What was, what was the shittiest job you've ever had?
1: Uh, working in Olive Garden. I made breadsticks there. I smelled <laughs> like garlic all the time.
0: <laughs> I think it's important. Uh, this is something uh, a mutual friend of ours has said uh, as well, uh, Chris Saka, that it's imp- I think it's important to have had at least one shitty job preferably in the service industry. I don't know. I, I think it really teaches you a lot about yourself and service and uh, humankind in general. So you were making the breadsticks in the back. Did you ever have a like busboying or, or waitering job or anything like that?
1: Uh... If not, not I forgive you. No, not really. I was never a waiter. I mean, I would see people at tables at Olive Garden as well, but like the, the don't don't hate on my breadsticks. Breadsticks were a tough job, dude. <laughs> like those waiters would get pissed at you if you didn't have the breadsticks out on time cuz they get they made their tips on breadsticks. They made their way, How do they make their tips because on breadsticks? Because you had to have breadsticks on the table, dude. Breadsticks <laughs> always have to be on the table. I still have dreams about this. Breadsticks <laughs> need to be on the table. If the customers don't have their breadsticks, they are not happy. They're pissed, yeah. It's all you can eat breadsticks and salad. Uh, That's a lot of breadsticks. I mean, dude, it's a lot of breadsticks. I was cranking (laughs) out, like, at any given time, there's two big ass trays of breadsticks going on in the Olive Garden in the the oven. (laughs) All right. All right. Let's, uh, I'm going to do a couple of rapid
0: fire questions just to mix things up. Actually, let me, uh, I wanted to. Also, just add a bit of context to the angel investing discussion, because it may seem outside of the scope of your daily life, but things are going to change very dramatically very soon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So September 23rd, uh, something called general solicitation uh, is going to have a big impact on uh, investing in general, where uh, average Joe or Jane, so to speak, the public will have access to deals that are advertised by or promoted by angel investors, venture capitalists, hedge fund managers, and so on and so forth. This is, this is something that's unprecedented and related to the jobs act, which means that deals people previously had to be part of a very small club of, to have access to, they will see promoted on the internet and elsewhere. Who knows? Television, perhaps. Uh, so I think the, the mechanisms for, Determining your own risk tolerance and deciding on investing will become, uh, in some ways more complex because people are going to get hit with a lot of promotion. Um, so just a, a, a passing recommendation to people would be to read the annual letters by Warren Buffett and which are compiled in, or I should say, uh, yeah, they are compiled and gathered in, uh, paperback form. Um, uh, and of course, the first rule of investing is do not lose money. Rule number two, see number, see rule number one, according to Buffett. And, but as an angel, I think that's important. I mean, you need to f- develop rules. You're going to miss some winners, but develop rules so that you can at least avoid losing a large chunk of capital. And, uh, that is all I have to say about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to think that, um, there's going to be this this act is going to open up new worlds for for everyday investors to come in and do more angel style investing
0: yeah so the way is, that people go on to kickstarter and give money to people for prizes or rewards of different types. They'll be able to do that, but for equity, actual percentages in a company.
1: It's crazy in that, like, you know, when, when you hear about most of the stuff, you think like, Oh, it's those people out in Silicon Valley in California doing all this stuff. And it's like, and, and you're right to be thinking that like, there's obviously a lot of that stuff gets funded and everything out here. But like this, this, when this happens and eventually the tools that form around it will, Enable anyone anywhere to really participate and and get involved at a much earlier stage, mm-hmm. which is exciting. I mean, there's uh you know there's there's a lot of risk, but there's also potentially a lot of reward on on that stuff.
0: Uh, definitely, and I mean, we've talked about this before, but I mean, I tend to take personally at least as sort of a barbell. That's a Nassim Taleb term, uh, barbell approach to investing, which is say twenty percent highly speculative startup stuff, and then eighty percent is just safe cash, like equivalents of some type. So don't gamble with more than you can afford to lose is, uh, I think a a good way to go about it. All right. So let's, let's do a couple of rapid fire questions. Uh, borrowing these from all over the place. If you could be a breakfast cereal, what breakfast cereal and why? Oh boy, it's these kind
1: of questions. This is like the Google interview questions, like when they're like how many ping pong balls. Can you fit into seven forty seven? Exactly. Wait. McKinsey style. Um This is easier. What kind ba- of breakfast What Breakfast cereal? Um I hate the and why part. I like I mean I can easily be like some nice like uh, uh you know, Okay, you can just give a cryptic answer. No, okay. no why report. Okay, breakfast cereal. Um you know, I'm gonna go with the steel cut oats. <laughs> it's, it's very <laughs> Amish of you. Well I, I <laughs> Are we talking like kids' cereal? I mean, it can it probably, be whatever, man. I, I don't want to like suggest something that's bad for people's health out there, then they start consuming it, and <laughs> we're, all of a sudden, we're like, are like, double fisting wine here. You can't suggest cereal. Okay, okay, You're fine. So, I would say, like, straight up kids' breakfast cereal would probably be, um, like the Choco Puffs.
0: Okay, now I'm gonna go back on my word Why? why Choco Puffs. Well, I
1: mean, just because I really like chocolate. Cheers, by the way. I don't way. really have any, like... Oh, cheers. I don't have any, like, great great answer other than just, okay. like... That was a terrible question and an even worse <laughs> answer. All right. <laughs> Let's continue. This is a beta, man. Oh, this your right, this is your first podcast. This is a beta. Never again will the breakfast cereal question all 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 come all up. All
0: <laughs> that was a shitty lead on my part. Complete this statement. My favorite time of day
1: is... And why? Uh, probably evening, just because I, I get to decompress a little bit. How do you decompress in the evening? Um, you know, it's, it's dinner with my wife and just kind of like hanging out and having, you know, a glass of wine or something. And especially like wine with, with good food is, is awesome. We we cook a lot at home. What is
0: your favorite meal and wine to decompress?
1: So without a doubt in, uh, I found this little, uh, little charcuterie place around the corner from my house that sells like aged beef. Okay. And, um, 100 day dry aged big old chunk of beef, uh, sous vide, uh, in the water bath, like at medium rare, and then just like flash grilled so you like render all the fat and like, and then just a big old tasty cab. I mean, I, I, that sounds great. That just, I know you'd like that, right? You're I would a, like you're that. A meat eater. I would, I would. So, medium rare would be what, like 125? Uh, 130 to 135 no, 130, is 135. medium 135. rare. Uh, okay. How do I know that and you don't? And I have a, you have a cooking book. You're, you're going to cut that. this out of the podcast. No, no, no. I'm not going to cut it out. 125 is fine. That's,
0: 125. It that's on the rare side. Yeah, I know. But if it's thin and then you're... It doesn't you're, matter what you You're flash-sear it. No, hold on, though. If it's thin and then you sear it... Yeah, it'll cook. You're going to have some higher. carryover. It, fair enough. Jesus. Shafing <laughs> my ass already. All right. Uh As you've gotten older... This is a two-parter. As you've gotten older, what has become more important to you and what has become less important to you?
1: Um... Oh my gosh. So more important to me as I've gotten older is probably um just honestly time to like stay in shape. Just like yeah. more gym time, more time to actually like actually keep the beer gut down. Uh <laughs> you know, it's it's harder as you get older. And less important, I would say, is, like, some of the hardcore tinkering. Like, mm-hmm. I used to like to build computers from scratch. Yep. yep. I just want my computer to work now. I, I put freaking <laughs> OS X Mavericks on my, my laptop, which is, like, the beta version of OS X. And... Uh, mm-hmm it's crashing and shit. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, what am I doing? I'm like, I don't know why I had to have it, but I did. And like, now I can't even like write an email. And my browser locks up. So, uh, I think I just, you know, it's like the get off my lawn. Like right. I, the, I want shit the to grandpa. Work I just want shit to work. <laughs> but you know, it's weird how that happens.
0: Yeah. I have the same thing. I mean, there, there's a point where you just fear, you feel the scarcity of time. Yeah. And the value of time increasing because you start you start seeing gnarly shit happen to people or like friends dying. or Oh, I know. That's the scariest part, man. It, like, it freaks you out. I, I didn't know anyone. And then you're like, you know what? I'm not going to spend a week figuring this. Like, beta yeah, out. that's bullshit. I when just you, want this to work. You
1: know what's funny is when you're a kid, like, you just don't know anyone. You think, like, everyone's just healthy. Right. And then all of a sudden you become an adult and like, you know, I gosh, man, I've I've had some really bad experiences and then like I've seen friends of mine that aren't aren't that older that like, you know, a friend a good friend of mine's wife has cancer now and like he's only a few years older than me. And I'm like, that's scary as hell. Yeah. So yeah, you start to value time a lot more. Uh who's the
0: first person that comes to mind when you hear the word successful and why is that? Uh
1: successful I would say that you know, I think that it's Philip Rosedale is the first person to come to mind. Philip's awesome. Do you want to tell us tell us tell us
0: a, a little bit of just to so people know who Philip is? So it's, it's
1: interesting in that it's weird that that actually when I when I think about that I would pick Philip, and the reason being is that Philip. So, so, thank you for the one. I wonder if that's picking up by the speaker. It sounds like you're <laughs> like, you I
0: want the, I, I'm,
1: I'm aggressively pouring, so <laughs> thank we'll be you.
0: picked up by this so,
1: <laughs> mic. Um, so Philip, uh, created, um, a virtual world back in the day that was really popular way before its time called Second Life. Mm-hmm. And it became, it became extremely popular. Mm-hmm. And, um, later, like all internet things eventually declined in usage because it just wasn't as cool as it was when it came out. And, uh, he, then went on to start a company uh, that, um, you know, he tinkered around with it, a handful of different things. They didn't quite work out. And now he's on to his next thing called High Fidelity. Um, but the reason that I say Philip is that success in my mind doesn't necessarily mean like huge IPOs and exits and things like that. The thing that I like about him and I did, I shot a couple of video interviews with him on my series on uh, foundation that you can search Philip Rosedale foundation on Google and find, but
0: foundation.care
1: foundation.kr. Um, uh, but because the thing cause
0: you let the dot com slip.
1: Uh, no, uh, yeah, right. Foundation.com was not available. The dot net. Which one did was, you lose? It was .biz, BZ <laughs> or something like that. And I let dot kr <laughs> slip, but I got it back. Okay. So, uh, anyway, the thing I like about Philip is that he is such a rare, person to, to to discover. I feel like I'm lucky that I even know him because he's a big thinker. He's a crazy, mad scientist. Yep. When you watch his interview, you realize that his ideas and his passion and just where his head takes things is so unique and so big picture, like bigger than you could ever dream up on your own like when you think of ideas we're like oh wouldn't it be better if there was a better way to keep our you know like and it's something like super stupid that you want like you know like like uh, i feel like our ideas are like you know just improvements of the uh, incremental incremental, like pre-existing like little problems that we have that like my toilet paper runs out i'd like to get a notification like it's like dumb stuff right (laughs) you talk to him and like you realize that like he is thinking about things like virtual economies and like currencies and using your iPhone as a miniature computer while you're sleeping that does little virtual tasks and assist people like in, in other places. And you're like, dude, you like they will someday when you finally have that moment, that idea that is the right idea at the right time when it yeah. hits like they will write books about this guy and movies about this guy. It's rare to find those people. Nikolai Tesla of it, it's, the internet It's the age. Tesla. It's like so, potentially like an Elon Musk. Well, another I was just going to say. So what?
0: Uh, what do you think enables them to think that way? Is it something that can be taught? I mean, are they? Is it something that they learned how to do? Or are they just genetically predisposed?
1: I think a, a lot of it comes down to sense. fear. A okay. lot of it comes down to fear. How so? When people don't have fear. They aren't scared of big ideas. Hmm. I meet a lot of entrepreneurs every single day, and all they want to do is do incremental improvements on pre-existing yeah. stuff because it's they want to Sell a company for twenty it's million. Safe. They can sell it for twenty million to Yahoo. They can sell it for ten million to Google. Whatever it may be, there is a there's a safety net there. Who wants to go and create an electric car company? Who wants to go and create a freaking next generation, like, like spaceship company? Like these are, these are just, these are hard problems, you know, and it takes a certain kind of person. And they're binary too, right? I mean, you either, you don't partially succeed, right? You either succeed or fail. (laughs) And it's like, and Philip is one of those guys that he's just like, I have a crazy idea. I'm going to go build it and I don't care what, nothing's going to get in my way. I can just do it. Like, and I don't know how to do it right now, but I can figure it out because I'll surround myself with smart people. And that's that's what he does. And it's like those people are really rare, man. Like I see so many, just um, you know, it's 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 not a lot of like willing to throw everything out and just start from scratch and tackle something that is 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 going to change the world. And and when you find those people, and I've only yeah. met a couple, yeah, I that you many know, are. I, I th- then you get really excited and you feel lucky just to know them. Who? Uh, any other examples immediately jump to mind besides uh, Philip and Elon? Uh, you know, I think that, um, Reed Hoffman is another really big idea guy. I I think that he's really like, I'm excited to see if he eventually decides to get back in it. Like, you know, he's chairman at LinkedIn and if he ever decides to go and, and tackle something like what that will become. Do you have any idea what, uh, Philip, if he did, I don't know his, his educational
0: background, but did he, did he finish school? Did he study anything in particular?
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's like super hardcore, like machine code. He is. Computer science guy. Okay. Because, I mean, I'm, I don't know if he dropped out or not or just got trying to see if
0: there are any commonalities because, I mean, uh, Reed, many people don't know this, but, uh, I think he has either a master's or a PhD in, in philosophy. Hmm. I mean, very big thinker, as you know, is, regarded as one of the oracles or the Oracle of Silicon Valley. I mean, the guy's brilliant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh Hmm.
0: What is your, uh, it's not policy really, but do you keep in touch with friends from back in the day? I mean, uh, childhood friends, any of them or, yeah, there's a couple. Or, okay. So, it's, I mean, that that's been, uh, I'd be curious to hear what your experience has been as you've had more and more, uh, success in various ways and entered new peer groups and so on and so forth uh how has that affected your relationships with the people that you grew up with if at all and from what period of time
1: yeah it's hard because you know growing up in such a um a city like las vegas like no one really stayed there mm-hmm. so it's not like when i go back to town i see all my friends from high school or whatever it may be or college like it's um we all split off and went to different places. I have one friend that's still there. Um but other than that like uh everyone's in different cities. Some are back east, some are in LA, like they're just all over the place, but um you know, I try and keep in in touch and and uh I'll trade texts and I have like you know, there's certain times of the year, certain things that come up in your head that pop in your mind and you're like, "Oh my gosh, that was so crazy when we did this." And he's like, "Text of your buddies no, right, I remember right. when we, you know, broke the law this way." Or something like that, you know. <laughs> so there's like there's that kind of stuff. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, what was the... I mean, I know the question was like... I mean, maybe maybe it seems
0: like an odd question. Is this something that
1: you're having a hard time with?
0: uh, It's it's a challenge in some cases for me. I've just found that I grew up in a very odd place. I grew up on the eastern end of Long Island uh, in the Hamptons where... You have two groups. Uh, actually they're more than two groups, but for simplicity's sake, you have the city people who are Manhattan, rich Manhattanites typically who come out to summer in the Hamptons. And then you have the townies and the townies, uh, range, but typically include people involved in service industries. So, uh, let's just say landscapers, waitresses, waiters. Uh, real estate brokers, although they're getting pushed out by people like Sotheby's who are based in, in Manhattan. And there's a lot of alcoholism, not very good education. Uh, it's a pretty dismal picture. So I've, I, I, I found it very difficult for myself, uh, to, Transition from having more in common with the townies to having more in common with the city people—it's been like a real you existential do, issue. So for you me. don't have things in common with the city people anymore? No, no, no. I, I had, I as I went through, say, high school, and then uh, left Long Island. I, I initially was 100% townie, and then I started to move where I'm like, okay, 90% townie, 10% city person. As, as I went to undergrad, right. and then like 70% townie, 30% city person, and then where do you think you are now? I you know I I can empathize with the city people now and it and it it, it that, and, I, and I feel like I'm opposite sh- and I, I feel like I'm think. straddling both right so it's that's, like that's weird so I now. go back and it's like I've had I I have some of my closest friends who who have died in the last 2 years of drug overdoses That's crazy. And I so I feel like I'm kind of trapped in between these, not trapped. That's in a, the dramatic that's word, but I'm, a, I'm straddling these two worlds where I grew up hating people who came in from Manhattan. I mean, re- they were just like so rude and entitled and annoying and irritating. Part of it was that I was working as a bus boy. So I saw the worst that humanity had to offer. Uh, and now it's difficult for me sometimes to identify and let's say have a conversation about shared interests with some of the friends I grew up with not because I'm you know better by any stretch of the imagination we're just in such different tracks
1: I I still feel more at home with my younger friends than I do I feel like a fish out of water in the Bay Area well okay so I would caveat what I just said with the
0: fact that I left long island to go to uh actually petitioned my parents to do this to go to a boarding school in new hampshire and that's where i forged my closest friendships that i still have to this day so i am absolutely closest to those people when i went to college didn't have a lot of close bonding experience because i already had the away from home uh scenario but it's uh I don't feel like a fish out of water in the Bay Area, but it's, it's, it's proven harder to develop really close friendships. I think hmm. the further you get along in a certain professional track, uh, not always. I mean, I do have close friends in the Bay Area, uh, but, um, not to, not to meander too far, but it's just, it's, it's something that I've seen some people have a lot of challenges with yeah. and other people don't have any with.
1: Yeah. I think that for me, um, you know, I grew up in a pretty lower, middle income family um and uh Maybe i too. i feel that um that's always felt at home, and I have a bunch of really crappy '90s tattoos. And so, <laughs> what's your worst tattoo? Can you explain it to someone? Like freaking flame, flames on my leg. Like I, I've got really bad, bad tattoos. They're in the process of getting removed. But the funny I thing would is, I'll pay like, you ten thousand dollars if I can put a uh, no, tramp stamp on your lower back. I, I'll give you twenty, and, and we'll do the same thing. You'll give me twenty if I put a tramp stamp on, on your, lower your lower back. back. <laughs> <laughs> so, no. Here is the deal, though. Like I feel like. Um, I, I just, like, I feel at most home with, with like, people that understand that. <laughs> because
0: I go to the gym. I go to
1: this, like, really, like, like meat-heady meet, gym, you know? That's perfect. And, and, like, yeah, dude, I'm surrounded by dudes with really crappy 90s tattoos. They have and I'm like, like oh, uh, I feel at home here. They it's have, so like, Tasmanian better. devil tattoos yeah, on their me, arms. I'm like, oh, what's up, bro? <laughs> Hell yeah. Like, it's the best.
0: <laughs> Allison Shans, what's up? Yeah. Uh, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Something.
1: I always knew I wanted to be in computers ever since I really? was probably 10 or 12 years old. When I, when I got Nothing first, else? I knew. I knew the second I got a computer... That I was hooked. I, I moved the computer into my bedroom, and my parents thought it was weird. And I was like, I need to have this machine as close as possible so I can hear the fan at night. It makes me sleep. I'm, I'm serious. I loved it, dude. Everything about. It, I'd leave it on all the time. I'd get on it. I'd, I learned every single DOS command. You can ask me how to do anything in DOS right now. I can tell you how to do it. Like I, I loved it.
0: Uh, I wish I could. I have. uh I definitely have non-engineers insecurity when it comes to or non coders insecurity. Uh, when it relates to tech and startups, I, I really should learn how to code at least in one language. Everyone's, uh, not everyone, but a, a handful of friends have been telling me I should go after Python first, which I'm in, inclined to do. I get to it eventually. Natural languages first, programming languages second, I guess. Interesting. Uh, outside of computers, if you could study with any expert in the world, who would you study with and what would you study?
1: Um, I would probably pick some type of meditation guru. Hmm. And, uh, and I know this is totally doable, but like, I think that like the the issue that I have now, um, is that I feel that all this computer, like the computers and the constant like stimulus and, and, and all this, like, you know, I don't know about you, but like, there is no such thing as, it's extremely blurred the personal time versus work time. And so like, you know, I'll be at dinner and like, you know, it's not this bad because Daria makes me shut down the laptop at dinner, but like, you know what I mean? It's like, it bleeds into everything that you do. And so because of that, I feel like my brain is being slowly scrambled. Like I feel like it's always on edge. It's being fragmented. And I feel that like, we're going to realize in short order here in the next 10, 20 years that like, all of this distraction and stuff is really messing with our brains. And I mm-hmm. feel it like uh, I need to find that balance and I haven't done that yet. So I think if I, if I could study with anyone, it would probably be like a, a two or three month, like just straight up retreat with like some like awesome Buddhist monk somewhere that like, would teach me, uh, you know, walking meditation or whatever it may be like some, some way to like, like gain my soul back. <laughs> Kevin has lost his soul. I mean, that would sounds, be the title of this podcast. No, it's Kevin not, Rose loses his soul. It, it, as long as it's like Tim, Tim, <laughs> talk, talk, Kevin Rose. Loses his soul. No, but seriously though, I, I feel like it's, it's, it's so I hear hard. You it's, it's easy to feel lost. I mean, like,
0: I've, we've, I, I don't think I've talked about this all too publicly, but, um, it's been uh I feel like I'm an AA or something rewarding wording it this way, but it's been it'll be eleven weeks as of this Sunday that I've meditated twice a day, every day, for that period of time, which is incon it would have been incomprehensible to me that I would actually meditate you can't that count, con- that consistently.
1: You're not counting masturbation is meditation though because no no because if you are then that would not then then, then you're like four a day <laughs> you're, like, you're like once a week then <laughs> i
0: never i've never masturbated i have no idea what you're implying <laughs> like, uh
1: the <laughs> it's a late night show people I'm it's sorry. a late night
0: show we sorry can, all you we were seven-year-olds having- listening but They'll In learn. three years, you'll learn. Uh, the uh, I'm not counting masturbation. Is this a
1: late night show, though? Seriously? Because like, we talk about oh, like all vulgar stuff. Yeah. What, what do you want to talk about? I don't have anything there. else I want to talk about. But when like you talk about penises? What's going no, on? No, I don't want. There's nothing else. I was just worried You always I'm, I'm talk worried. about penises. You just might as well admit it to everybody. You know what I heard? <laughs> no, I won't even
0: Yes. Say what you want.
1: Say what you didn't want to say. No, I mean, it's nothing that's, that's interesting. That's fine. It sounded It sounded defensive, so, which you should bring up. My buddy that that, uh, that that owns this wine bar, we were just like talking about it, he got Square. You know that credit card swiping I system? Yes, I heard Square. Well, I'm, I'm explaining to the, the <laughs> users out there. Your okay, right, right. So Square is basically like this little tiny dongle that you can plug into your iPad or iPhone, and you can swipe your card. A and dongle like, is a little square that you plug in. Sounds it, very pornographic. You swipe your card, and that's how you pay for things. Everyone's kind of seeing this now. So basically he was telling me that 30% of his signatures like you know how you have to sign the ipad yeah. with your finger like you sign your name 30% are penises <laughs> 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 he said, that is awesome I'm going to start doing that he's because like, then if the credit card company like, is this your signature I'm like what like, the fuck do you think it's a penis and of course it's like, not like I see more scribbled penises than like he's like you even believe he's like people are drunk and they just sign a penis <laughs>
0: I thought that was pretty That funny. is awesome. Why have I never done that? I don't know. I I'm mean, embarrassed
1: to admit that I've never signed tonight. with a penis before. Uh, <laughs> uh, so if you go there and, yeah, yeah. So and you go see there. Chris and you get that discount, sign with a penis,
0: sign with a penis. Uh, so speaking of balance technology and so on, as, so I don't count masturbation just to come back to that 20 okay. minutes a day, twice a day, transcendental meditation, blah, blah, blah. I'll talk about it more another time. Um, I want to focus on you, Kevin Rose, uh, technology, it does cause a lot of blurring. So you get this work life sure. blending instead of balance. Uh, what is one technology you think you could live without?
1: Or two television.
0: Absolutely. Television.
1: Okay. Except for football. Okay.
0: And now what awesome. if we can now let's just say, because there are a lot of self-righteous San Francisco techies, and I'm sure they're elsewhere who are like, Oh, I never watch television. I don't even have a television. And then I watch five hours of fucking YouTube every day. Right. And that's just ridiculous. Yeah. You can't say you don't, watch, don't watch television. TV. No, no, that's fine. But if you're watching like like Jaguars attacking crocodiles and like kitten videos and sure. parkour for four hours on the internet, like it's the same thing. Yeah. So, I
1: mean, time wise. Yeah. I mean, they, they, yeah. they talk about how much like the average American household watches TV yeah. and like, don't get me wrong. I do enjoy a great movie. I enjoy a mini series like, like, you know, about Star Galactica or something like that, but only once it's been a few seasons in and people are like, Oh, you got to see this. Yeah. But like, rather than that, I would rather spend time working on businesses or building my own stuff. I think that's like one of the key, you were talking earlier about like traits that entrepreneurs, like successful entrepreneurs have and like no, all the great entrepreneurs I know, like they, they, they work. Their projects bleed into their personal life and it's, it's sad, but it's true. Yeah. And they, they, they're focused on that. And yeah. so, like, you know, when I was building several, uh, some of the companies I built in the past, like, it has always been about cutting out that type of stuff. Yep. Like figuring out where you can prune and cut and create more space so that you can actually have the time to put in the 10, 12 hour days. And it doesn't feel like it, especially when it's something you're really passionate about. It doesn't yeah. feel like you're putting in that much time. But like it's – you you can't expect to be a, success, a successful entrepreneur just working at nine to five. Like it just doesn't work well, that I think, way.
0: And you know, just to address a common, I think, misconception with the whole four-hour shit that uh, – that, that ah, is it. Everyone's
1: gonna. Be, I know. Second, like I, I said that they're like, "Oh, Kevin's I, right." I know. Tim Ferriss, the fuck. So <laughs> let
0: me address that. The for people who haven't read it, uh the four hour work week is about optimizing per hour output. That's it. End of story. So you maximize your per hour output, increase it five to ten x, then. If you're, let's say, a VC or an investment bank or whatever, you still work the same number of hours, but you just have, you have improved volume of output. Uh, same for startup people. The objective is to use your time wisely and allocate it to the things that you're passionate about. And in that case, for you, it would be, let's say, some of your startups that you've worked on. For me, where I feel like I am an Archimedes lever or can utilize the Archimedes lever to really have the broadest impact is say with the book. So I'll spend three years on a book. That's a serious investment of time, but uh, the, the objective is not to be idle. So just to emphasize that. Uh, and I think that once you, f- you should be looking for something that consumes you in a way. And I know that might sound negative to some people, but it's like, if you're not a hell yes about what you're doing, then why are you doing it? Uh, or should you be looking for something else? Yeah, uh, I so, think that's so, a good point. So, so television. All right, fair enough. Speaking. All right, let's let's drop TV. You mentioned documentary. Any favorite
1: documentaries? Um, yeah, I mean, there's. Oh gosh, I'd have to go back and look at the stuff that uh, I've watched. Like, um, what is it? Uh, like, uh, Food Inc. Food Inks. Food Inks is a good one. That's a great one. I really enjoyed that one. It kind of like shed some light on like the industrial food process and how mm-hmm. nasty and horrible it is. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that's definitely top of my list. Um, I don't have any that jump out as being super exciting. That Man on Wire is worth watching. That's fun. You, have you seen Who Killed the Electric Car? No. Is that any good? I, I heard that was pretty good. Graham's giving the thumbs up. Graham, out. our, 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 our audio. silent partner. <laughs> this three-person <laughs> <So>. podcast. <laughs> Who killed the electric car? What's it about? Uh, well, just the, the the how the electric car died the first time around when uh, they tried to get uh, off the, the ground. One. Yeah, the, the one. yeah the GM EV uh, one. Uh,
0: interesting.
1: Who was it that came out with the
0: Nova at one part at at, at one point? Uh, thank you, Wine, for that English <laughs> fuck up. Uh, and
1: <laughs> the Nova, went. the up.
0: Nova? And then they tried to sell it in Spanish speaking countries, and it was the Nova It doesn't go, and so they couldn't <laughs> sell the car. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Oops. Uh okay. Uh if you could stop the clock and live forever
1: at a particular age, what age would you choose? And mm, man, that's a good one. Probably I mean, that's a good question because obviously you don't know how things are going to feel in the future, but I would say, as far as like my my general, I'm spunk. sure your joints and muscles will improve as you 24. get older. <laughs> spunk, eh? I was thinking mm. your, your spunkiness and and just ability to recover from you're doing a shitty job on your wine, dude. I I told you I had a glass, two glasses before I got here. So uh, I no, 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 I'm not trying to be an enabler. I'm just saying you're doing I mean, a shitty job. If you're, you're trying wine. to promote alcoholism on your shit first podcast. It's a little <laughs> hardcore. Um, I'm waiting for the <laughs> waiting for the alcohol
0: brands to sponsor me for my third exactly. episode yeah so what was the question again you want to know any age Where oh uh, 24 to? 24 okay yeah I, I, yeah that
1: sounds about right i think the 24 i mean it's it, your mid-20s are kind of like your prime right yeah I think that's, physically what are some of your pet peeves
0: what are things that drive you insane
1: um Pet peeves. One of the things that drives me insane is that I feel as though in our industry, there are a lot of people Meaning that are tech tech um, that aren't really direct. Mm-hmm. It drives, it drives me nuts when people beat around the bush mm-hmm. and really you just need to say the truth because yeah. like, even though it's painful and it stings now, at least people know where you stand. Yeah. And it saves I feel everybody a lot of time it saves on. everyone a ton of time. And I feel that that's like, what would be an example of that? Well, what I circumstance? Mean, it just feels that, you know, I, I see this all the time in even my world in the venture capital world. Like a lot of people will say I, – I recently changed the way that I say no to people now. Mm, this I, is of great interest to me. I would say that the majority of the time, like uh, venture capitalists, when you go out and you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to raise some money and, um, you know, you meet with a, a someone at a VC firm and they sit down and they say, oh, show me your idea and then you go through it. And then typically you get an email 24 to 48 hours later saying this is how we want to proceed or not proceed. And oftentimes the email on not proceeding is like, you know, I talked with our partnership and I don't think it's a good fit at this time. Or, you know, um, I, I'm so busy with my current investments that I, I don't think I have time to take on anything new, but thank you for your time. And like, it, it let's really, talk, it's such Let's bullshit. talk in six months or whatever. It's such BS, man. The soft maybe slash no. And it's just like, I was like, it's funny. I I just, the other day I was sitting there and I was writing a a no, like saying no to someone email, which for me in the past has typically been like, you know, thought about it. Really don't think it's, it's something that, that, that we want to invest in. Thanks, but love to talk to you in the future. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Right. The typical one that you read everywhere else. Right. And then, you know, I just started thinking like, gosh, there's gotta be, I'm going to try and be very direct with, with the entrepreneur and just, like, see what the response is like. Because yeah. I feel like that's just, like, I might come off as a dick. And that's the, that's the worry, right? The concern is yeah. that you just come off, like, you're just being. He's a dick and they should talk to you other places. But you blah, know what? Blah, but blah. I, I think that, like, at least people will be like, you know what? We know where he stands. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And, and so I, I tried it for the first time last week, actually. And the entrepreneur wrote back and he was like. Dude, thanks for being honest. I what, appreciate it. What was it.
0: your wording? I'm curious because this is something I, I said, think a lot of people battle with.
1: I, how to say no. So I like the idea. I thought that the space was generally really boring. Yeah, I didn't know how big a business it would become. Um, I thought that they had decent traction. They were clearly going to get their next round of funding because of that traction. Um, but it wasn't something where I was going to be over the top excited about to answer their emails and get pumped up about. Right. And so I wrote the guy an email and I was like, listen, I don't think I'm the right partner for you. I think the idea is sound, but i i Am not excited about this space at all. It doesn't get me excited, and I just don't think like when you need someone to reach out to and to help you out, like I'm going to be the one that's going to to jump back and and be the the right partner, you know, yeah. more or less. And he wrote back and he's like, "Dude, thanks for the the direct feedback or honest feedback, and you know, look forward to see you next time you're in town because he's out of town." Cool. And it was like it was the first time where I was like, "Wow, I actually, that's, like uh, it's also a good founder, you know, yeah, and can take it." I've done that before on, on, on working with some engineers, and I I feel like it just it always. I, I kind of like I want to start living by that because I think it's the right thing to do. Hmm.
0: So I think I think you're a very good communicator. You're also a very good negotiator. I've, I've seen you live. I think both are very interrelated. Uh, do you think you're a good communicator? And why or why not? Like, well, oh, yeah, let's do that first. And then the uh, obviously the overarching question is what makes a good communicator? Slash negotiator. I think they go together.
1: I think I'm the uh, That's hard because I, I it's funny. I was just negotiating a car lease today and I don't think I'm that good of a negotiator because this guy is like mop the floor. with me.
0: <laughs> Yeah, but you don't give a shit about your car lease. That's why.
1: Yeah, that's probably I've seen
0: true. you negotiate things you care about and you're good.
1: No, that's that's probably true. Um So on the communications front, I I feel that like. Plus, that guy's done the same fucking negotiation a million I know, times. He's really good.
0: <laughs> those, those damn cards. He's like,
1: I'm so glad you asked that blah, blah, I blah, know. bullshit. Let me know. I know. Like,. Verbally put you in the solar plexus. I literally walked out of the place today. Walked down the street, and the guy's texting me like, "Come back, like we can talk about this." And I'm like, "Why didn't we talk about this 20 minutes ago?" When I sat in your office for 45 minutes, like he's like, "Oh, we could there's w- wiggle room now." And I'm like, "How is there? There wasn't wiggle room 45 minutes ago." And you brought me the like, crappy coffee, and I'm like sitting there in the office, sweating my ass off because it's hot. Anyway, it was just like I, I hate. I wish Get uh, I needed to invent a new car startup because like there needs to be like straight transformation transparent real talk like the, no negotiation I don't know there's still a lot of car companies out there but communication wise I feel that um you know I don't know that I'm 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 I appreciate the compliment but I think for me it's it's what people have said is that um i don't really sometimes i get in trouble for this i, I always did when i was doing pr at, at dig and i was like i would just say whatever was the truth and not necessarily the best thing to say but just really the honest thing so like when we were having user revolts on our site um when when i was running uh, dig, the dig the very like it was a very social site so we had like millions of users revolting against us on online like you know I would get in front of the camera and just be like, "Yeah, it sucks. Our servers are falling over. We're getting crushed right now." Blah <laughs> blah, and like you know, PR would be like, "Okay, you can kind of like say like this, and like you should word it like this next time." And it's like, I don't know, man. I think like I a lot suck of that, at that too. I it, suck at but it. But that's
0: the thing is like because people don't that's, trust you if that's you're reading exactly, off a script exactly.
1: Exactly, and that is an old like process and old way of thinking. Like people nowadays can see right through that crap, and so like literally just you have to tell the truth i mean it's yeah. like you just have it, whether it sucks or it doesn't suck like you know i got in trouble one time uh another time when i was on stage and i was talking about our engineering problems that did who chastised
0: you this is board of directors no types. this
1: was um uh, this was like actually so i mean well i'm sharing some insider information here but we had like we had this, like, group on Facebook that was uh, a bunch of ex-Dig employees. Uh, and, um, you know, I... First of all, for dedicated the... Dedicated to being ex-Dig employees. They they, they, they were, but, like, they, I was also a member of that group because I had since left Dig. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, the blame is definitely on me from the get-go because I'm the one that founded the company. So, like, I can't I can can't really... The, the buck stops with me. right? But, you know... I, I'm allowed to tweak and figure out what I did wrong so I can hopefully avoid those mistakes right. in the future. Of course, And so I was saying a lot of what I thought I did wrong, including not like as Jack Dorsey puts it uh, the, in an interview that I did with him. He, he says that you need to constantly be pruning and editing your team to make sure that you have the, the right people in the right roles. Yep. And then that's like something that you as a successful entrepreneur he has constantly done. That means sometimes having very difficult tough uh conversations with employees and letting people go. Yeah. And so I talked about that on stage and talked about how I would have done things differently, blah blah. blah. And I upset a lot of, of past employees and I what, I was kind of, of, what like, upset them? Well, just that I would put the blame on engineering when they thought the blame was on upper management right. and blah, blah, blah. Got and, it. and don't get me wrong. The blame was absolutely on upper management. And there was, there's, I think that there's, you know, there's, you, there's a, there's blame to be put all over the place. Like it's, yeah. it's like I could point to a thousand different things that, that we would do differently next time around.
0: Well, if I, if I were to just try to bring it back to this original question, it seems like you're Surprisingly comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And I've seen you do this live a couple of times where you're asking for things that perhaps other people wouldn't ask for, but that you should ask for, or you're saying things that maybe you shouldn't say by some political correct standard, politically correct standard, but you do. And how did you get to that point? Because it seems like the reason a lot of people fail in, whether it's negotiating for a raise or negotiating any type of deal or asking for anything they want or coming clean and avoiding some huge fucking PR scandal just by being honest at the outset, they're not willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. So why do you think you're so comfortable doing that?
1: Um, I think it's probably because I want to avoid an even more difficult conversation down the road if I'm caught not speaking the truth the first time around. Yeah. It's a lot more difficult to have the conversation to say like, oh, yeah, I kind of wasn't like fully bringing everything to light in this original conversation. So, And, and I feel like I just, I don't know, man, like if you admit your faults, then other people can't point them out in you. Mm hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Like if I, if I, get yeah, if you make
0: of, I mean, it's the same thing with like stand up comics who take, who take the piss. That's a really fucking commonwealth expression, but, uh, make fun of themselves before the audience can. Right. To just like steal the thunder in that way so that they can run the show and do what they want to do.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's that. I, I think, yeah, I'd never thought about this before. It's funny that, that you bring it up, but like, I, I feel like that's probably the reason why, because I want to say everything there is to be said that's negative negative. So that we can get that out of the way, so I don't have to be ridiculed in some way. Like I I think that at Dig, especially, we were under a lot of scrutiny all the time. Yeah, because we had such a very vocal audience, like that was taking down sites and servers, and because we had so much traffic, (laughs) took down my server first time. My server, my servers
0: got taken down. uh, I remember very clearly. It was in New York City and i had this very odd blog post called from geek to freak how i gained 34 pounds of muscle in 28 days yeah <laughs> that hit the dig front page and took down my whole fucking site it was like a big deal and that was a very uh important defining moment for me i remember i mean dig was extremely powerful for a very long time
1: yeah it was um I, and, and because of a lot of that the press used to always love to like sit down with us and be like, what do you think about your audience and like the fact that they make these types of comments about certain users and, or there's a post about, you know, uh you know, certain ladies in bikinis and they hit the front page and it got all these clicks and all these men are saying these really crude things. Like, how does that make you feel? And I, I felt like I was always being hit with all of these kind of like, like, you suck, tell us why you don't suck questions, you know? <laughs> that, that I was just like, you know what? You're right, we do suck, you know? Okay. It's like, that's the only thing you can do. Yeah, like,
0: look, humanity's fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. I'm sorry. I'm like, like uh, if you have, how many, I mean, how many monthly unique visitors do you have? A at 38 million was yeah, the highest. it's like, so if, if you, you take like people in a, a thousand assholes <laughs> yeah. in a fucking auditorium, like you're gonna have, not assholes, I'm sorry, like a thousand people in an auditorium. Like, think of any school play, right? right? Or like any little league game. Right. And, you, always have, gonna be hecklers. and, and you have like 300 dads. <laughs> They're always going to be four fucking asshole dads who are like yelling and screaming, right. and blue in the face. Right. Like,
1: so you take 38 million people and you extrapolate it out. Of course you're going to have a fucking mess in your Yeah. Hands. It was so, I just realized that like at that point, you just got to surrender and not yeah. fight and just be like, listen. And, and it actually helps out a ton because they, people are like, Oh, he's just human. He's like, he's, well, I, you know, that's really important.
0: I think is to emphasize, not emphasize, but at least mention the things you suck at as a way of qualifying. Not like credentializing everything you say after that, but also qualifying the users that come to your site, right? So, or that use your product by explaining who should not use your product, if that makes sense. Uh, what would you say that you are world
1: class at? I would say, um, every couple of years uh, I will come up with something idea wise that I have never seen done before. And so uh, the thing that I enjoy more than anything else out of anything I've ever done in life um, uh, outside of like the emotional side of like, you know, finding your wife and dating and things like that has to be <laughs> things like that. Well, I'm just saying like that's, that's another <laughs> thing because that's awesome too. But I'm, I'm saying like, uh, Career wise has to be those moments where you have those original ideas, you know, Mm -hmm. that they they come to you that you're just like, This has never been done before. And you you prototype it and you build it and you look at it and you're just like, Wow, like I don't know if this is ever gonna be anything big, but I'm the first person that thought of this. Like that is a really cool idea. And like we had, you know, maybe ten or fifteen moments throughout Diggs history where we were the first ones to do some of these things and like that is the coolest feeling man when you create something that like millions of people end up using and you're just like dude i made that like it's like you feel so emotionally tied to it and then you also you know it's funny it's because we built a lot of stuff very early days at dig that went on to be used in many other products including everything from You know, stupid things like Facebook using a like button when we like created social voting way back in the day and had it spread to profiles and a lot of the the kind of nuts and bolts of how that stuff worked. Like a lot of that eventually, you know, some of the comment stuff that we did with the voting and like a lot of like really crazy stuff we did on like showing real time data around votes and like all this stuff eventually made it into much bigger products than what we had created. But, dude, to know that you were there for a minute and played a little role in that, that, you know, that was really cool. Like, I can remember when, like, Zuckerberg came down to my office at Dig, sat on my floor with his flip-flops on, you know, Facebook at the time was, like, smaller than Dig and was, like, (laughs) shooting the shit with me about, like, what he wanted to build at Facebook and, like, you know, thought we were the shit, And I was like, damn, that was the, you know, now that I look back on that at the time, I was like, who is this kid? Now I look back on that and I'm like, dude, that's so cool. Like that, that was like a moment where like we had created something that he was like caught up in and thought it was really cool and baked some of those ideas into some of the stuff that he built and went on to, to, to obviously launch to an audience that's a hundred X what we ever were. Yeah. But like. Dude, just being a part of that, like that whole movement was, was something that I will forever cherish, you know? Yeah. And it's like those, what I, so you, your question is like, what am I really good at? It's like, I enjoyed those moments. And I think that like, if anything I can bring to my, my, like the people that have followed my work and that continue to follow the stuff that I do, I hope to have a few more of those in my lifetime yeah, and and be able to actually launch some stuff that people are like, wow, he, he, it doesn't have to be big. It can be super small. It just yeah. like, I want people to think like, wow, yeah. that's something I've never seen before. You know, I, I like that feeling.
0: So I feel exactly the same way. And I enjoy the newness, the inventiveness, the aha moment more than the scaling. And I think it's sometimes to my detriment, right? So you say... Uh, look at the quantified self movement mm-hmm. and so on. It's like, I was at the first meeting, there since the beginning, did the four hour body, published 2010, which means that I was doing research in 2008, 2007. Uh, the recording date even before that. And did you see
1: what the iPhone announcement a couple of days ago? Biometrics? No, no, not that. The new which chip, part? the, what is it called? The M7, M7 chip. No. They're, so they're building in to a chip. They're offloading all the pedometer stuff. They can tell when you're in a car, when you're walking, when you're running, all that stuff is going to be built on chips, super low power, always on. So it's going to power like a whole nother like suite of, of quantified self stuff. But like to your point, like you're on that shit a long time ago. Right. And and now it's actually like hitting mainstream. Right. Now it's hitting mainstream. So you have, I
0: think people like uh, Dave Asprey who's who's quite smart, uh, Bulletproof Coffee and so on will probably generate more revenue for himself Mm -hmm. than I ever will personally but I enjoy being there at the inception, at like the big bang moment, mm-hmm. more than the scaling. And it's it's something that I struggle with because I feel like, fuck, like, you know, if I could have caught that wave of like a year or two later, let someone else do all the R&D, right? you could monetize it so much more effectively. Dude, it's not too late, man. But I enjoy the inception moment more than anything else. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so fine. So like, what do you think I should do?
1: I mean, I think that, not in terms of not t- being too late. I'm curious. I mean, honestly, the quantified cell stuff, like just now in the last Android release, they're now automatically building in at the API level. Um They can tell whether you're walking, running in a car. Apple just announced that in their latest chip like three days ago. Same thing. Like the APIs and the hooks for all this stuff are there. Yeah it's up to you what you want to build on top of it. You yeah. could do, you could do so many different things on top of that. Yeah. I'm just, and it's early yeah. days, man. Like if you think oh, about still all the stuff early. that you've looked it's at, so like early. as far as reading, like real time, I mean, dude, when I first, yeah, it's funny. I'll tell a great story, a Tim Ferriss story. Like <laughs> I think this is in your book too. Uh, when we were hanging out and we're watching a movie. Do you remember what movie that was?
0: This is years it was, ago.
1: Uh, it was Inglourious Bastards, Inglourious right? Inglourious Bastards. Oh, man, that was such a great movie. I love that movie. It was a good movie. So we're watching Inglourious Bastards, and like, Tim's doing research for his book. This no, is, this isn't my book. This, oh, this is you like, were doing something for your book, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I was, this but, was the, but no, body. no, we, we haven't talked about this, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So we're sitting there in the movie theater... <laughs> And like we sit down, and like literally, you didn't even think to say a thing to me until we sat down. Like we were like hanging out before then or something. And like you sit down, and like you're like, dude, I'm doing this crazy experiment or something like that. I'm like, what's what's up? And you like pull up your shirt, and you had like some kind of syringe in your side. I had a glue. I had a. Glu, I had a tw- a continuous glucose
0: monitor implanted into my side in yeah. my abdomen. Yeah. You
1: have, but you had like a, a needle in you and then yes. a wireless yeah, little two thing. Two or three
0: needles stuck under my skin implanted into a transmitter that then went to a, a, a wireless receiver that was on my belt.
1: Yeah. yeah and I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, that was like, <laughs> but like talk about quantified self stuff. I mean, this yeah. was years ago. Yeah. I, and yeah, like, a long time ago. And, and you think about like, we don't, we still don't have that data available to us, but like there's, there's a lot of talk in, in at least in some of the startups that I've seen at external ways of gathering very similar data. Like they're they're doing a bunch of new ways that like get it heart rate, get it, um, the was the perspiration that you have coming off of you. Like a bunch uh, well, of different things. Well, there's like galvanic skin response. Right. Exactly. It's
0: common. Yeah. There's uh, a startup. I don't think I can Basis talk about it that. yet. Basis is cool. Uh, I'm an investor in Basis. Uh, so the Basis watch is very cool. There's another startup. Uh, hopefully I can talk about sometime soon, uh, which is basically like a nicotine patch that tracks all that stuff 24 seven. That's It's cool. fucking cool. Yeah. It's super, super cool. Um, uh,
1: but anyway, what, what I'm getting at is like, it, it, obviously, it, it's like, I feel like, especially in this sector, like there's a lot of talk and like the origins of something, which obviously you were a big part of, and then there's the that inflection point where the hardware catches up with the with the the general discussion, and then the hardware enables. Oh, the
0: harbor. We're getting to a great blood alcohol
1: content point now. You no, know, the hard, the hardware, but the <laughs> hardware is finally up to speed now to where like you're going to see in the next few years, like a lot of this stuff that we thought was impossible actually make yeah. it into devices that we wear.
0: Well, exactly. And the issue has been up to this point, quite frankly, data entry, right? Because you have shitty devices, or I shouldn't say shitty, but very primitive devices that only capture accelerometer data and every other biometric data point that you want, say blood values is really intrusive, right? You have to have someone come to your house or you have to go to quest labs or unless you're a cutter uh, lab quest rather, or unless you're a cutter, right. <laughs> to, to, uh, watch the secretary of everyone. It's a great movie. Uh, it's hardcore. Uh, it's such a good movie. But the, uh, the, the point being that you, you would have to have these intrusive or I should say not intrusive, but invasive, uh, test done to get the data that you want. Sure, and I think and that there's time around that too. It takes time to get the test. Yeah, it does. It takes a lot up. of time. So yeah. I think that you know the latency on that is say three to seven days. Whereas as soon as that nut is cracked, where you have something like a nicotine patch that you can slap on that's good for seven days that tracks. Why does it have to be nicotine? No, no, no. It's not nicotine. It's just it like, a <laughs> it's okay. like a patch. It's like a. I thought a, you are like as a two for no, you get no, no, a no, no, high no. as a you... two for you get nicotine. That stuff makes me so sick. Nicotine's so strong. I can't. I, I yeah. We can talk about that Dude, another time. you need
1: time. to trim, trim your toenails.
0: That one is really long. Yeah, they're gross. I know. I have talons, people. Because if you come those, up to me,
1: those are literally like dragon talons. I'll, I'll be like that uh, big toe. What's is that? Hook what's that toy. bird,
0: Graham? Any any insight? There's a bird in cassowary. Yes, that an is, Australian bird that will like rip your, your heart open with a with a with a uh, with hooves basically nails on its feet this should be the title of your first show that's my podcast the the cassowary (laughs) (laughs) fucking no one will be able to spell it there'll be like 17 different SEO versions that would suck Uh, hold on so let me uh, if you could uh, this is such a non-sequitur but whatever (laughs) we're going going for it
1: Uh, you were a colored jelly bean what color would it be (laughs) suck my balls Uh, wow (laughs) wow
0: not literally Lit- figuratively I want you to cycle <laughs> balls <laughs> if you could outsource one of your daily tasks what would it be and why because you have no fucking excuse right i mean you're you're like you're doing well you can pay whatever for whatever uh but what of your current daily tasks your repetitive tasks daily or weekly would you like to outsource and why haven't you
1: um you know, I don't think that there's anything else left that I have to, I want to outsource. Okay. I think I'm actually pretty set.
0: Okay. So what do you bitch about that you don't want to
1: outsource? Uh, How's your wine, by the way? It's great. I think I'm I'm, thinking I'm, I'm still working on it. I'm okay. good. All right, all right, all right. I'm like, I'm like at three. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, I don't know that I... Uh, Graham, how you doing?
0: You
1: good? I, I think that if anything, I complain that I don't have time to focus on some of the things I'd really like to get behind. Like, I, I want to learn how to garden properly. I know this sounds lame, but no, like... No, are you kidding me? That sounds amazing. What type of gardening? Well, I mean, I've got a vegetable garden right now. We and, both know Dr. Weil. You remember his garden? Oh, Holy Dr. Wow. Dr. Wow is my freaking idol, man. Dude, that guy's garden is amazing. So we, we were lucky enough to go up to Dr. Andrew Weil. If You you probably know him as the dude with the big white beard on all the Whole Food stores' shelves. MD that looks like Santa Claus. He looks like Santa He's Claus. amazing. Um, we got lucky to go to his house, uh, up in Canada and like freaking the dude is like the master. Um, he had an amazing garden. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, I would like to learn more about that. I mean, I, I think that like right now it's a very, I have someone help out that comes by and like basically helps with the garden. And I just, I understand the basics, but I need to understand, like, I want to get to the level of like understand the soil composition and a bunch of other things. And like, you know, I just don't have the time to do it. I wish I did. So I think there's a bunch of little hobbies I think that you're getting that with the meditation and with the garden like there's probably you know a handful of things I'd like to work in fast food again <laughs> uh elaborate please I have this really, reality camp? I have this, talked about reality camp. Yeah. I have this really weird thing where I want to go and work in like fast food again. We talked about this yeah. reality camp until someone comes up and is like, "Kevin," and then I'm going to run out. Like I want, I We're want
0: Chipotle line, I, extra guacamole,
1: dollar fifty, sir. No, I'm I'm being dead serious. Like I would like to do do some of that. Like just well, we've help. talked about this, like the cognitive
0: tax that comes along with white collar work, right? In the sense that when you're in front of an inbox constantly and you're on the phone and conference calls constantly there is a like mental and soul tax that you you don't interact with
1: people it's like it's not on
0: your own that does not allow you to interact with other people and so we've both had this fantasy of like working on the chipotle line in this like i will join meditative repetitive Yeah. Context. How
1: fucking awesome would that be? Also, I would really like to just analyze... I want to understand businesses that are fine-tuned and all about, like... One of the things I I respect about these businesses, I don't necessarily... Triple A is decent in that I hear their ingredients are pretty good, but like McDonald's, a place that I would never, ever really want to work at, but I kind of do, and the reason (laughs) I want to go work there is because I want to understand what processes they put in place to get the efficiencies that they do yeah and like i really would like to like you you gotta imagine that you're dealing with like 16 to 18 year old kids as a majority of your workforce these are like the most unruly crazy spit in your hamburger type of like like how do you manage that yeah. like that's the got kind of to be the hardest segment of people to manage like yeah. oh, I know when I was 16 to 18 like I was doing all kinds of crazy stupid stuff and so like <laughs> I would imagine that they have systems in place I wouldn't want you burgers when you were 16 <laughs> no I know you wouldn't you still wouldn't today but like I, I, I would imagine that like when you look at like what they have in place everything from like the ways that they monitor their employees to the, the the system they have set up to like here are the three things you have to do to make this burger here are the seven things you have to do to make this burger like I just want to understand that Process so I can figure out how someone would successfully franchise and scale a business like that. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. And I also think it would be, you know. There's something about, like, there's something about, like, actually serving people. Like, I think that's, like, a cool yeah. thing to do. Like, I wouldn't mind – yeah, I, I would like to – and I'd actually, I'd like to talk to you about this. I wouldn't mind, like, donating some of my time. I, I actually want to um, join the Boy Scouts again mm. and help out uh, because I, I was an Eagle Scout and I went – I was in Scouts all growing up. And I, I feel that, like, I really miss – one of the things that my dad did uh, when he was alive is that when I was a little kid – He was a mentor to a lot of other kids in our troop, and I think that it was really important, and he enjoyed it because um, you have to understand that the Boy Scouts, even though there is – one of the things that nobody ever really talks about is that, at least in Las Vegas – Um, was that there was a lot of kids that were dropped off by their moms Hmm. who didn't have father figures. And they were like, this is the only way they're going to get like a father figure in their life. Hmm. And there were a lot of boys there that just like never knew their dads. And like my dad was like a second dad. And like at my dad's funeral, there was like, you know, a couple of people. Well, one in particular that was a good longtime friend of my dad's that now is in his, you know, late thirties that was like, you know, a scout that my dad kind of mentored because you know, he considered him like a second father. And so, awesome. you know, I, I would like to, to uh, figure out like a way to like get back and involved in that and, and, you know, actually do something outside of the computer and just get help, help some people out.
0: Dude, I'll do that with you. That'd be That'd fun. Be amazing. I, uh, I saw a poster today I went to a meditation class, my check-in, like o'clocks Anonymous. Yeah, exactly. Kevin's doing a jerk off motion with his I left did hand. I do
1: not. Well, I'm left handed, but I, I was asking for more wine.
0: The, the universal more wine jerk off <laughs> gesture. Uh, so I went to a meditation session, i.e., as Kevin would have it, if it were up to him, a masturbation session. <laughs> And there was a poster for the Girl Scouts. So no more masturbation <laughs> references, please. Uh, which said, uh, and I was really actually inspired by this today. It was this, it was a picture of this chick doing, sorry, chick, what, uh, you know, fuck you guys. Chick is fine. Uh, it was a picture of this, this like badass chick doing Taekwondo and doing like a high kick. And it said, uh, Cleopatra ruled Egypt when she was 18 years old. What are you doing? Oh, damn. And it was that's a, strong. Yeah, yeah. And it was a Girl Scouts poster. And I was like, fuck, that is a good poster. Now I feel like a lazy asshole. I need to go do something, but it was very inspiring. And, uh, I feel like, I feel like that's uh, a place where you could have a, a huge amount of impact. Certainly. And, uh, for me, you know, I always thought I was going to be a nine, ninth or 10th grade teacher because I felt like that was, a uh, Really critical time for me, where I was deciding where my life was going to go, and I had a lot of bad influences to
1: choose mm-hmm. from, and a lot of good influences to choose from. Actually, ninth grade, man, is so shit. key. It's such
0: a that's the one. So key, and so I thought I was always going to go back and teach ninth to tenth grade, or one You'd of the two. You'd be an
1: awesome teacher, by the way. You should do I it. I
0: enjoy it. You know, I always thought I was going to, and it just turned out that the books and the blog and this and blah blah blah, everything, everything came up as a vehicle for
1: teaching. Um, have you so here's one thing I just want to throw out there real quick there's a lot of people talking about this unschooled movement yeah where it's like open source school like where like the kids can pick like the different classes and in, in their own kind of like at their own leisure have you considered doing like you could put out episodes that are like a, some courseware and the class online that like you know that would as long as you adhere to like some of the unschool stuff like you could basically create your own class for the same Yeah, you know. I'd I'd be open to doing that. Uh Graham, I'd be curious to get your
0: thoughts on this. Kevin too, but I feel like the the figures that had, and again, speaking as a male, uh, so this may be unique to men or to me, but many of the people who had the biggest impact on me were males who were just like, here's the fucking way it is. And like, this is the program we're gonna follow, whether that was wrestling coaches or teachers in specific subjects who gave me
1: structure that I lacked. Right. So you needed a little bit more discipline. You need a little bit. I think it's,
0: I think it's very, I think that in order to be a good leader, you have to learn how to be a good follower first. Hmm. And I feel I, like that's a famous quote that you just took from somewhere. I may have stolen that from someone. but <laughs> the uh, but that's that's I mean that's my belief is that learning to be a good follower or disciple or soldier underneath someone else is very useful training for them being a leader later, and I don't think that it would have been a service to me as a say fifteen year old. And I can, I can very clearly identify this like 14, 15, 16 year old period where I was very lucky to encounter certain people who had a huge formative impact on my development. In that period, I feel like I needed good guidance. I needed good leaders. I didn't need, I didn't need, nor would I have in retrospect wanted someone to say, you decide what you want to do. I don't know. Uh, maybe that's me being naive, but I, I really feel like at that point in time, I need someone to show me how to follow a good structure as opposed to invent my own. Hmm. What, are your, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, I think everyone's different. Uh, I think that certainly that that approach is is one that uh, is probably a little bit more traditional. I mean, that's the way things are today, right? Like people are saying, like, this is the class you have to take. This is the thing that you have to. Well, I
0: mean, but but there's a difference between taking, say, four years of undergrad doing all the fucking bullshit. I mean, I, you know, and I finished and I got my degree from Princeton. Great and fantastic. And there are a lot of fucking retards who graduate from Princeton and every other Ivy League school. But people think I'm smart because I have that on my resume or whatever, uh, which is silly. But that's the way it is. I think there's that, which is four years, versus having a good, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I I do think it's hard to go from, like, being born to being your own Obi-Wan Kenobi as opposed to having someone in between who really puts you in check when you're just being an arrogant prick as a Mm 15-year-old, which, like, perhaps it's not applicable to females. I can't speak to that because I'm not a woman, but like every 15 year old dude thinks he knows everything about fucking everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and you need like, you need an elder to just be like, no, that's doubt. great. I'm glad you're confident, but like, let me show you how this shit actually works. And like, I'm going to push you to the breaking point and you don't think you can do it, but I think you can do it. So I'm going to push you even further. And I remember just having uh, this particular mentor of mine, uh, Mr. Buxton, who is an amazing, amazing, amazing guy. Uh, The CEO of Donors Choose, for instance, and founder of Donors Choose. I mean, you just, you look at my wrestling team and you can just, you can telescope them out to these amazing outcomes and all of them, without exception, in my experience so far, I attributed it back to Mr. Buxton Hmm. being a fucking like brilliant hard ass in wrestling. Like he would not, you thought you could give seven. He'd be like, no, 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 you can give 10. And he would just push you to the breaking point. Hmm. And uh that was just like whenever I whenever I face anything that is difficult in my life, I look back on my experience when I was high school and it's like, all right, is this harder than what Mr. Buxton pushed me to do? No, it isn't. Therefore I I can do it.
1: I think there's um there there's something to be said about like choosing your own path. But I don't think I think that once you've chosen that path, there's there's I agree that like you can there's no reason why you can't have a hard ass under that particular like vertical of whatever you've chosen right like if you say okay, I want to get into computer science like you you can have a badass like hard ass in computer science that like drives you to be the best right like I feel the same way like well i have a trainer at the gym and why because I'll push myself to a freaking six if I'm left to my own devices if I go in with the trainer I'm going 11 and walking out of there sore as hell and can barely limp back to my vehicle you know right. and so like I I, I agree to his vehicle why that back to your vehicle come on I didn't want to say scooter because I have a scooter <laughs> I like vehicles it's very efficient I take a little efficient. scooter to and from the gym it's efficient <laughs> <laughs>
0: I got a I love that you get fucking, like, super jacked at the gym and then jump on a Vespa to No, I'm
1: really embarrassed because I got the <laughs> wrong
0: color. I got a freaking gold Vespa. It's so
1: ugly. Dude, that's ballsy. It's no. like being the
0: fucking fat guy in, like, Ibiza wearing the fucking
1: a, man thong just walking around. I wanted black, and Dari didn't like black, and then I was like... <laughs> she's like gold's nice and i'm like yeah gold's kind of nice and I i up getting the gold one who wants a gold scooter it's the worst that's very
0: uh confident i like that anyway all right so so i mean if the if you could find a mentor we're not going to do it too much longer but if you if you could find a mentor of some type like what type of mentor do you think you need um
1: you know i think that it's it's for me, it's, it's finding someone that fills in the gaps. I think that there is, you know, when, when you want to run a business or you want to start something new, the, the best thing that you can do. Um, and the thing that I kind of like was, I would say that one of the big learnings that I had when I was a lot younger in my early twenties and started dig was that I put my head down, I put my headphones on and I said, I'm going to focus on product. Because it was the thing that I was comfortable with and it was the thing that I understood and I knew how to do well. I kind of, you know, closed my eyes to every other aspect of the business, whether it was financials, whether it was running the business, whether it was hiring, firing people, whether it was, you know, uh, scaling, like there was a bunch of pieces that I just was like, I don't understand those. I'm going to close my eyes and, and pretend they don't exist. I'm going to hire other people to run them. And I'm going to just focus on what I know, What I know best in retrospect, uh, I would probably go in and say, well, I know for a fact I would be honest with myself about what I don't know and go and absolutely try and pair up with mentors that can help me out. I think if anything that I've learned in the last, you know, 10 years of doing this, is that there is no shame in admitting that you don't understand something because you can either fuck it up and that's when you act, act like you understand something and you actually don't, or you can admit it one time, learn it and then move on and become a better person and just more well rounded and actually, you know, get serious about building a business. Like there's, there's, you can, you, if you ever going to be a founder and you're going to run that business, you have to understand that you can't just be good at one thing. You have to understand the whole gamut, the A to Z and, and at least have enough knowledge to be able to make an educated decision around certain things. And I think that I was very uh, immature and I, I hid from the things that I didn't understand. And so even today, there's a lot of things I still don't understand um, when it comes to finance. Like, uh, what are
0: you worst at right now? I mean, what if if you could conjure the perfect mentor from the ether? Like, what what are the things that you would want to most improve upon?
1: I think that for me currently, it you know I am decent at reading legal documents, but I'm by no means a pro, and mm. so like there's a lot of little weird things that attorneys like to throw on these little curveballs and weird things into um, financing documents that as a VC, you have to go through and pour through and like, look at, you know, certain terms, of understanding how they might impact the company. And like, even today, there was a term that I had never seen in a document. I thought it meant one thing and it actually meant something else. And, uh, our attorney, like I M'd me and she's like, do you actually realize that this means this and not this? And I was like, Oh shit, I didn't know that. Thank you. Like, that was awesome. Like, I had no idea it really would impact us if we ever decided to do X Y and Z. And so, um, you know, just just like sitting down and and saying like, "Can you explain these things?" and and it just takes time, you know? And yeah. it's like it's something that that you can't be expected to to know every little facet of every business, especially because there's so many dif- like you don't go and get a degree in you know, business and finance and marketing and like all these different areas. You get one degree, if that yeah.
0: plus none of those teach you how to analyze venture capital agreement. Oh yeah. No doubt At about the end that. Of the day. I mean, there's, there is a very good book. Uh, I believe it's called venture deals by Brad Feld and his partner, Jason, I believe it is. Uh, what's happening? Sorry. I just drank that. That was water. No, it's wine, <laughs> uh, which is very good at introducing people to some of the common terms venture capital and just general startup finance agreements. Outside of
1: that, what else? So we got that. mentor
0: Mentor-wise.
1: Yeah, I mean, the meditation, the gardening. Um, you know, the other thing I will say is it's really good to have an outlet to just – vent and that can be with your spouse that can be with, you know, it's funny. It's like, it's trying to, you know, I mean, this is, we're getting really deep here. Do you want to keep going? Let's let's do it. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I think that you're like this too, dude, having known you long enough now that like you, you, are a, a kind of a closed off person, you know, and and so am I. In that, like, you know, you hide some emotional stuff and you keep it like well, you close do to the chest. people will fucking kill you if you don't. I mean, yeah, but like also, <laughs> you know, it's like I mean, just dealing with like valley wagon shit, you'll get fucking slaughtered. No, if you I, don't have some degree of protectiveness. No, risk. I I know that, I know that, but I'm saying like understanding the value in being able to freely vent to a significant other or to talk to someone or have like a good bro or even like seek counseling or whatever it may be like having an outlet to be able to go out there and um get gut checks on different things i think is a really healthy thing yeah and so like you know for me like i've had some some good friends uh in in the bay area that like You know, like you, for example, we've talked about a bunch of deep stuff before. I've, I've done that with Prager and some other friends and things like that. And I think that like just having those, I think is a really healthy thing. And so like those act as mentors in a way. You know what I mean? Like I think that like your close friends like that can act as, as mentors. So
0: here's a question for you. So I've, I've recently, this is nothing I've talked about before, but went to a therapist for the first time, maybe three, two or three months ago. And I found it extremely helpful to speak with someone who is completely non biased. And I viewed it as a bit of a cop out in the beginning because I felt like it was a it was a an admission of weakness to go to sure. a therapist. And it for it absolutely for, for the for, for, <laughs> 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 for the same reason that I haven't used antidepressants. No, antip- antip- no, like I've never used antidepressants, even though I've, I've dealt with that shit in my own life. Like I've never taken prozac or any uh like SSRIs or anything like that because i feel like it's an, it's an admission of weakness and that i should be able to deal with it in other ways mm-hmm. so i'd never gone to a therapist per se and many people might call it a business coach or whatever just to hide the fact but went to this therapist found it very helpful and have not gone to a second session even though i found the first session extremely helpful was which why is,
1: was it was it you just felt like afterwards you're like oh god i can't because there's a stigma attached to that no
0: there was there was no overthinking it i was just like ah, i'm fucking busy like no i'm not gonna do it so uh why not though there's no reason not to it's funny you should mention that like i've you know it's like i did two hours of physical therapy today because i fucked up my right shoulder doing right crazy
1: i think we need to treat our brains like that though like you need to treat treat it like another muscle that you would work out and you need to figure out like you know, that that's actually a good, positive thing. What... I wish there was a more casual therapist. <laughs> something that didn't something involve... Something that didn't involve, like, go sitting the label in a of chair. Yeah, you right. know I right. mean? Like, yeah, yeah. there's could be, like, a, a, like a friendist. Gutcheck.com. Like, right. something where you're just like, oh, let's <laughs> meet for a coffee. And it's, like, somebody that's just, like, a friend, that but you'd pay them. <laughs> <laughs> Paidfriend.co.uk. Do UK. you know what I mean? There's got to be a way to, like, lighten it up a little bit, so it's not yeah. like... lay no, in I the agree, chair. because there's so, out my there's so much...
0: I think people have so much baggage associated with the title of therapist yeah. that it never happened. Oh, no doubt, Whereas man. It was just useful and it may have been quite frankly just the fact that I was able to hear myself talk for an hour yeah. and think through shit without a friend who was subjectively trying to help me. Uh let's see. So uh what advice would you give to your like 20 or 25 year old self given everything that you've gone through and everything you've learned, uh,
1: 20 or 25 year old self. I would say 25. I'd say drink a little bit less. Um, that's a good question. Actually. I haven't thought about, I mean, I, I think a lot of the things that we talked about today about like surrounding yourself with mentors and understanding to, to, confront the things that you don't understand rather than hide from them. Um, I think that, um, um, I would say that if it's from a straight business point of view, I would say that do you can do more with less. Mm -hmm. I think that like there's this temptation when you start seeing some success to like throw bodies and servers and more people at the problem, when in reality, it's like just making sure that the you have the right people in the right roles. I think they have this rule at Google. It's called uh, I am going to screw this up, but you get the gist that it's like the ten x rule, and like the right person in the right role can do the work of ten people in the wrong role. And so, like they they have got this thing where you know if you, if you can if they can fit that find that person for that right role, you'll get ten x the performance. And I totally totally believe that's true. I think that's um. Uh so that that you know there's a reason why Instagram grew to you know I don't know when they sold it was 50 plus million people or something like that using their product with 10 people yeah, you know Kev, it's like Kevin's
0: a smart boy
1: it's um what's that yeah Kevin's yeah, Kevin smart. smart dude um uh, but you know I mean the, I he was mean good the, like the, that the whole team did really well obviously what
0: uh so <clears throat> all right last question cuz I want to be sensitive to obviously everyone's time Are you guys listening the fine Kevin Rose, the third Esquire involved with this interview. Uh, last question.
1: I am the third, actually. Are you really? Yeah, but not Kevin Robert Rose. So my oh, first nice. name. Yeah. Well,
0: I got that right. That's funny. Uh, who do you think I
1: should interview on
0: this podcast in the future? Any nominations? I've had a lot of people say Dana White of the UFC. Interesting. <laughs> President of the UFC, which, uh, I'd totally be down for. Obviously, big UFC fan.
1: I think that, like, the thing that, that, um, that would be fun is if you just, uh, I mean, you got to get outside of tech. I mean, obviously definitely, there's a lot of tech definitely. people, um, but in the, in the Bay Area, but I think that the thing that I would love to hear about is if you, as you, cause you travel the world so much, you're like always all over the place in weird, crazy countries. Yeah. You, you need to bring some of that culture to yeah. the show. And I think, like, even if you could, like, if you did, something where you splice together a bunch of different interviews to fill out like a half hour forty five minutes. Like if you were like, if you were in freaking the Philippines and you you are in Thailand and you met some phenomenal freaking like chef making amazing noodles and you're like, did a five minute like on the street interview yeah. about like what drives them, what they use in their ingredients, like what they love about their life. Like I think like, like just like you, you see so much interesting stuff like that, that I, I would love to get a little taste of that. Yeah. That'd be cool. You know, it's mm-hmm. like fun. <laughs> I, I know that you're you're always about like the really minimalist, like crazy, like getting the actual feel of the culture. You know, like you're not the the average like I'm just going to go to like a third world country and stay in the Four Seasons, <laughs> like, right, right, you know. Right. So I think that like, <laughs> like bringing that flavor to the show and like like bringing some of those personalities that are outside of of what we get here in the states, I think would be would be pretty awesome. Cool. I am up for all of it. Well, guys, I want to be respectful
0: to Kevin's time and Graham's time and uh, your time. So I'm going to bring this to a close. <laughs> so this three hour podcast <laughs> <three-hour> <laughs> podcast to a close. How
1: long was it? Uh, hour 45. Hour 45. Wow. That's good. That's, that's good. a little long. That's, uh, that's like half the length of Rhodes podcast. I think we lost pretty much everyone it, mm-hmm. at reply me at Kevin Rose on Twitter. With Tim Tim Good Good uh, as the hashtag, uh, if you even listen to it this far. All right. Yeah, I bet that, you this will be like four people. There'll be like
0: two or three people. And uh, let me know what you think. I would love to hear your suggestions, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you'd like to hear more of, less of. Uh, send me a note at T Ferris, T F E R R I S S. That's two S's, two R's for double religious and double sexy. Just kidding. And, uh, let me know what you think. Thanks for listening so far and hope to do more of these, but only if you guys like it. So let me know what you think. And to that point, Kevin, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> Until next time. Good night, guys.
1: If you want more of The Tim Ferriss Show, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to 4hourblog.com dcom Where you'll find an award-winning blog, tons of audio and video interview stories with people like Warren Buffett and Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park, The books, plus much, much more. Follow Tim on Twitter. Twitter at twitter.com slash T Ferris. That's T-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tim Ferris. Until next time, thanks for listening.